We are patient because we understand that sometimes it takes long or you need to wait for the right moment uh, or regulatory change or government change. Um, but that does not mean we sit there passively. 20 years back, we were all, almost in the niche market. Now all big companies are renewables. We are in, big, we are in, in this big segment of renewables, so it's mainstream. It will not simply go away as it did in the past for some years. Dear viewers of Good Investing Talks, it's great to have you back with my second part of the interview with Carsten Schlageter of Abo Wind. And today we are looking into the growth uh, chances of the company. And I had to quickly pause uh, when I said Abo Wind because they plan to rename to Abo Energy. Uh, why is that so? Why are you planning to change the name of the company? It was always, or not always, for many years in the discussion. Uh, I mean, we are 27 years now successful in this industry. We started, of course, with wind only. And now we have become a much more broader company. We, we are now really focused on the energy transition as a whole. So we are active in wind, in solar, in battery systems, storage systems and hydrogen. So this brought us in the end to the decision yeah, to rename us, to, to reflect that also in our name. Um, and ABO Energy, KGAA, was chosen to be best reflecting this, this ambition. Take a deeper look into the new uh, additions next to wind. Solar is already well known, but uh, we take a look into this later. But you also have the, the wish that you want to be a global player in the renewable industry uh, in the future. What does that mean if you put it into practice? I think we already are. We, we have a very strong international presence. We have 16 markets. We are, of course, strong in Europe. That's our stronghold. We are in Germany, especially in Finland, Spain, uh, France, of course. These are the, the four strongest market, markets. And uh, we also have a good pipeline in, in many other European markets to, to complete the picture. UK, uh, Ireland uh, has a nice perspective to, to be a strong market. We have medium markets like Hungary, Greece, where we are also very strong. Um, we are on top of that in Poland, which, which especially with the new government, with a more progressive outlook, um, is very promising. And we are in the Netherlands, that is always a front runner in the renewables. Um, outside Europe, and that's probably what you mean by global, we are with a strong presence in Canada. Since we spoke the last time, we have grown into several other provinces. We are in Colombia with a strong pipeline and we build our first projects there in the solar business. So this is also uh, very promising. We are in Argentina, these are the Americas, and in Africa we are in North Africa and Tunisia with a strategy that is more and more focused on hydrogen. We are in uh, Tanzania, which is rather a smaller market for us, and very strong in South Africa. 
So I would say this merits being uh, already branded international or global. Maybe we miss Asia, yeah? but we also want to stay focused at least from a time zone <laughs> definition of point of view. Are you planning to add more markets in these time zones? or? Our strategy that we have designed the last year and also published is to focus on these markets. And also we want to do that for, for the period that we have defined. But of course there might be new markets coming in the future, that's not excluded. But for the moment we are still in a consolidation in a sense of internationalization. We have still markets to grow, we have markets where we can invest in a lot and we have especially markets where there is a huge growth perspective and no need to go to additional ones. So you have this interesting, and the, the viewers will see this, this slide uh, embedded into the video, you don't have to show it, you can take a look at it. It's the growth trajectory uh, of the markets you're in and there's in between 7% uh, per annum growth till double digit growth in this market. So what is the general market environment you're operating in looking like? I mean, let's come from the very big drivers, uh, from the crisis of, of mankind. We have, we have climate change, it's not really new, uh, but I think it has become mainstream yeah, in most governments, especially of, of the European Union, but also the United States came back under Joe Biden and uh, climate change is accepted, so we need to come to a net net zero environment where we really get rid of uh, carbon emissions. So this is the main driver. Then we have unfortunately had the Ukraine war since we spoke, spoke the last time. So we have had the need to substitute all kinds of uh, fossil energies by <coughs> implementing renewables. In Europe and especially Germany this has driven a lot our business outlook, short, medium and long term. Um, and we have the inflationary pressure, this of course is related. So again, adding the cheapest sources of energy that today are solar and, uh, and wind resources um, has become a paradigm of most of the European governments and also of many uh, outside Europe governments. And you're also supported by politics here. Right now we're at the Bundeskanzleramt uh, here in Berlin and uh, you told me that you're flying with the economic minister to Algeria quite soon. Exactly, so we, we have a lot of tailwind, a lot of support by politicians. Also there have been so many and I need to say very successful changes in legislation uh, in Germany especially to push the build out of solar and also the acceleration of wind. Of course we can always say we need a bit more and refine here and there but uh, there were many many groundbreaking initiatives. We are now uh, called the, in the, to be in the overaching interest of the public. This has changed a lot, this influences court rulings, this motivates many local decentral governments uh, and civil servants. 
Um, we have many specific laws that now you have priority next to autoways, uh, auto, autobahn, the famous German autobahn, or next to the um, uh, railway tracks, or so a lot of disenabled, uh, much faster growth. You're present in 16 markets. Uh, you already mentioned some of them. Uh, investors are always interested in what are the most attractive markets and why. Maybe you can name the three most attractive markets. Uh. For, for the Abowin group, from, from a, let's say, SE's perspective, it's definitely Germany, uh, France, and uh, Spain, and Finland. Uh, if you allow me, I, I tell you four. These four okay. were the most or are the most important ones. Then, of course, you can also talk about that some of them might become more competitive or more saturated, but Germany and France will definitely stay among the most interesting, lucrative, most profitable markets. Why is that so? Because we need huge, huge, huge local energy production. It's not just that we want to replace the fossil fuels, the carbon. We want to exit from the carbon uh, generation of electricity. Um, we, we need uh, also satisfy the huge growth that comes from sector coupling. So we want to decarbonize our industry. So many of that will become by switching industrial processes from burning fossils to direct electrification. We will see a, a huge growth in electric vehicles. And we see additional growth that everyone now talks about, but sometimes we do not understand what it means. Artificial intelligence, this will drive data center usage again enormously, and all of this needs electricity. So I, I could probably add some more sectors that need more and more electricity. So it's not just replacing fossils, it's getting to a much bigger, bigger market of energy we need. We, in the history, we underestimated the electricity market growth. In Germany, there was a sudden stop to renewable projects, I think in 2011, uh, with Mr. Rösler as economic minister. Is there a risk that something like this will happen again, For, from your perspective? Our sector is, is very much regulated, so there's always a certain risk that remains. There might be temporary dips, but I think it's now mainstream that renewables are a key cornerstone of our, not just the uh, energy system, but the economic system. So I think this is now no longer really stoppable. It would be half suicide. Coming back to the markets, which three are the, the more challenging markets? You can also name four. Four come to mind. Challenging uh, in a sense of the market environment or in a sense of. Um, to make sustainable business there? There, let's, let's start uh, with the markets that are relatively new for us. So, there, it, it takes years yeah, to be successful in the market. You cannot, it's, you cannot jump into a market and then set up a business in some month. We need to understand that the project development takes years. And in that sense, if you go to market, you start with some projects and you build your pipeline. So it takes years really to make a market profitable. Let's start with maybe Colombia. We have now 
uh, a pipeline of 1.5 gigawatt that has taken us from 2017. We now build the first two projects. Of course, then you need to learn to find your right sub-providers, suppliers in the market. You, you need to learn who the new investors are. So this takes a while, but I'm very positive, for example, on Colombia. Um, in South Africa, we have built a huge pipeline. Then you need to learn how to find the right business models. We have now sold uh, a huge project um, early this year. This, of course, is subject that the partner to whom we sold it wins tender, so it's different business models than in Europe, but it has the prospect of really, really becoming a big additional market for us. So these are the markets that are simply younger compared to Germany, where we are, as I said, 27 years. In such markets, we are three, four, five years only, but they, they turn now into very good contributors within the group. And then we have some markets where, of course, you have really uh, political challenges. Argentina is one of them. Um, of course, that's no secret to uh, known investors. So we, we, uh, keep, we have the challenges there that you cannot repatriate your dividends. And so all this needs to be sorted out before serious foreign direct investment can happen in Argentina. But even in Argentina, you have local companies that still in such a crisis build out renewables. Because again, also in Argentina, renewables are the cheapest source of energy. We have, of course, countries where also you need to overcome much more, let's say, uh, yeah, Re regulatory topics or bankability issues. In Tunisia we had quite a while that we needed to get to bankability for projects because of the ratings of the country itself and in the absence of state guarantees you, it's practically impossible to finance projects. So these things we sometimes need to wait. We of course actively try to lobby that uh, the right framework gets in, in place. You don't want to do this, but theoretically, if you would enter a new market uh, or a market you entered recently, are you better in getting pro more profitable sooner or profitable sooner, not more profitable? You mean because we learn how to internationalize? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think absolutely we, we, we refined this process a lot. We did our first internationalization steps uh, 20 years ago, and this was more by you know someone somewhere, and then you simply start. And we became more and more systematic in analyzing countries. And today, I would say we also understand much better what the real long-term drivers are. And uh, long-term drivers, for example, are that uh, although Abo Wind is a mid-sized company, we should still operate in rather bigger markets where you have the chance with a relatively small market share still to make constant and profitable business. Niche markets are more difficult to run. You have a project every some years and that's of course more complicated to get to profitability. So the playbook has become better? Definitely, definitely. We have and you asked me in, the, in our first session about our colleagues and employees and of course we have uh, such a much broader and deeper management team that uh, 
has many of these experiences made for at first hand or brought them from other companies or every process and also the internationalization process I think uh, gets better and is based on a much broader and deeper experience. How long are you patient with country to become profitable or how do you manage this that if you have a team there build out build relationships with the people if it really does not work? We are patient because we understand that sometimes it takes long or you need to wait for the right moment uh, or regulatory change or government change. Um, but that does not mean we sit there passively. As you said, some of the things when we see that management teams do not work, we need to make changes, definitely. Um, sometimes also we have to reduce or the positive way increase our activities. The best example is Spain. We exited half of the business by around 2012-2013. We needed to close one of two offices, but we stayed. We stayed patient. We invested more selectively, but very uh, in the best places, and this turned out to be the source of today today's uh, very profitable business in Spain. And, and, and you see, I mean, even this was 10 years, we are in Spain since 2003, so it goes sometimes in cycles. It now goes less and less in cycles because we, we are now as re with renewables in the heart of the energy sector. Go, go 20 years back, we were all, almost in the niche market. Now all big companies are renewables. We are in, big re we are in, in this big segment of renewables, so it's mainstream. It will not simply go away as it did in the past for some years. What kind of bottlenecks are you facing right now? We discussed some already in our last meeting, which was very intense and very interesting. So one is, uh, Employees, as we said, I think that's a strong source where, where we are strong. We have great colleagues more than other companies, as you identified. This is a bottleneck in the market, skilled labor. We have a very sector-specific bottleneck, which is grid connections. Grids get saturated, uh, especially in areas where there's great wind or great solar, then, then this gets constrained. This is definitely a, a topic where we also talk with institutions that we need to build out new capacity in the grid. Um, we have longer delivery times in, with some components like wind turbines. So, so we need to order earlier. You need more working capital also because you pay earlier, you get the money back later. So uh, there are certain bottlenecks. Uh, I would say these are among the most important ones. In some markets, of course, still takes too long to get permits. Um, this has is quite improved. Yeah. Um, what kind of IRRs can you make in the different markets? We do not think so much about IRRs. We talk about margin per project. And th this is a question many uh, investors 
or analysts ask, and it's a very, of course, difficult question to all uh, to answer. Mm, but we have, let's say, markets where you have small projects, limited numbers of projects, and usually high margins like Germany, France, very fragmented markets. These are very interesting for us because we can work with these um, countries and, and the, these environments where you need much more decentral teams, you need much closer cooperation on a local level. And then mm -hmm. we have markets Germany, like... you have eight offices. This yes. is also effect of this decentralized trust. Exactly, yeah. absolutely. It's very important to be close to landowners, to be close to municipalities, to the local authorities. And then we have markets where you have huge land areas, huge projects, but specific margins being very small. And this is, uh, for example, the case in South Africa, in principle in Argentina. Um, it's also, in, to some extent, the case in Canada. So it's, you need to understand that and apply different business models. Coming back to this presence in Europe, uh, how much of your business revenue-wise is done in Europe? It's most. Most is still in Europe. This is where we have an operating umbrella of the EU, which helps. Um, and structures are in some markets similar. We have high margins, so that most of the profit comes definitely from Europe. And within that, uh, to be transparent, uh, most of it even comes now from Germany again. Because here we have the highest growth, we have the strongest political commitment to get the energy transition done, which is very positive to us. So we have seen acceleration in wind and in solar. So again, more than half of our profits and turnover comes from Germany. So how is the margin you're thinking about uh, a lot in European wind and solar projects and how has it lately developed? Well, we, we do not used to talk about uh, individual margins or so, but uh, I can confirm our general outlook that we announced we want to deliver again within the forecast of 21 to 26 million this year uh, for, for 2023 so we will deliver that um, and uh, we stick to our prognosis forecast for 2024 which is between 25 million of net profit to 31 so so we can confirm that I mean the margins sustain that business even and maybe you want to go there next with higher interest rates uh, with a lot of the volatility head, headwind we have also yeah. Yeah. yeah so the margin stays in similar fashion in volatile environments like interest rates and uh, energy prices jumping up and down exactly i mean we also need to admit that uh, per, per megawatt margins in germany have gone down I mean, this would be a surprise also if, if it, there was, would absolutely be no effect. Um, we are, I'm always saying we are a bit sheltered, so if interest rates go up, then often also prices go up, PPA level, so that it's, a, it's a moving, uh, moving ceiling and floors we have embedded in our business model. So there are compensatory effects always, but uh, compared to the very high prices uh, in the last years, 
uh, in the electricity markets. Um, now, of course, this, this go back to more normal levels. Uh, this lowers the value of our project, also interest rates lower the project of our values, but at the same time we have increased our volume a lot. So we overcompensate and we have uh, growth driven especially by volume. How much capex does a megawatt cost uh, at the moment for you? In To build? Yeah. Uh, this depends also on uh, per project per project because Sometimes you have big grid connections or access roads are difficult to construct. Sometimes all of this is easy, so it varies a lot. Um, I, I cannot give you numbers now, but I can give you examples, or I mean, I could give you uh, exact numbers, but let's say I would rather give general um, numbers that are known in the market. So we have seen prices of solar modules that have been around 30, 30 um, cents per watt in the, during the corona crisis where we had um, supply chain issues. This has now come to 15, 14, even lower cents per watt. So it, you see that a lot of um, cost pressure has gone out of the solar market again. Um, on the wind side though, turbine prices have continued to increase. Quite, quite a bit, so we are much higher now before than before the corona level. Yeah. If you want exact numbers, in wind we are now per megawatt uh, above, way above uh, a million, even in low-cost market like in Spain, but uh, in, and in solar, yeah, it varies really. Uh, it depends also on what kind of structure you use, if you use fixed hill or tracker systems. At which point would you think about enhancing your business model to also invest as an IPP compared to a pure developer? Is this something you might consider? We discussed that again in all our strategic reviews. Um, as long as there's almost exponential growth in the market, we think we are very well positioned to be a pure play. It makes us also interesting for investors. You can in our company invest really in the first phase, which is uh, more risky, but also more returning, of course, risk and reward goes together. Of course, there's an embedded option to at any time switch. Uh, should the market become flatter, we might do that, but this might be in the medium long run. It might definitely, it's not part of of the next years, our strategies to 2027, it's definitely not part of it. And we think it's for quite a while will be much more interesting and uh, fascinating to invest in project development and drive the energy transition. Then let's jump into the projects that are in the energy part that's not well known, the hydrogen pipeline and the battery pipeline. You have 20 megawatts pipeline for green hydrogen. Uh, what kind of projects are this and where are they? Yeah, this is a, a very different model for us. It's really large volume. 
it's much more long-term and it's riskier. That's why we also show it in a separate category to investors. We have our traditional pipeline of grid-connected project with 22 um, gigawatt. And in, uh, in hydrogen, we have built a pipeline of 20 gigawatt. So where are they? They're in the most promising areas of the world where you have extremely high resource endowment. You know? where you have land, vast availability of land, very low density of population. You need access to any kind of infrastructure for exporting these energies, so either ports or pipelines. And we want to use these resource-rich areas of the world to, to build renewables, huge volumes of renewables in the gigawatt scale, transform it via electrolysis into hydrogen, and then depending on what the final carrier is, either transforming it in ammonia, for example, green ammonia, to export it then to Europe. So where are we? Strongest place where we are is in Canada. We are in New Finland and New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, with hydrogen projects. Um, these are in relatively short distance across the Atlantic to Rotterdam or Hamburg or, or other uh, German ports um, where we could then offload the um, ammonia, the green ammonia products um, and consume it here in Europe. Um, we also have such projects in Argentina. They, they are more long-term, of course, because of the political environment, although the wind resources uh, are even stronger and we have also mid-long-term projects in South Africa exactly close to the Namibian border um, where we think we can combine excellently solar resources and wind resources and then export again via any hydrogen carrier. Um, then we have the North and South Corridor. So we develop hydrogen projects in Finland that could and will be connected via pipeline to Germany and from North Africa, from Tunisia and yeah, and in general, North Africa, we hope to export hydrogen via pipelines that will be refurbished or added as new pipelines um, and bring those to the south of Germany, to Bavaria, to the industrial centers um, of Bavaria and Baden-Württemberg. What is your estimate for the development in the hydrogen space within the next five years? We try to be... Um, let's say more realistic than, than many that we think are too over optimistic. So I, th I think personally for a really large scale export, we need, we need some years now still to develop these projects very soundly. Um, we will see maybe one or the other, even one of our projects that might come up with a pilot. Um, pilot capacity to start the export, but I think realistically we will see um, first strong imports from abroad into, by 2030 and then beyond scaling up fast. You seem to need joint venture partners to develop these projects. How have the negotiations for these projects developed? Yeah, we need that, of course. Our wind um, cannot of course not build uh, gigawatt scale projects. We are a mid-sized company, we're very bold and ambitious, we can do a lot, but that goes well beyond our financial and also other capacity. So we need partners for that, but also 
even under development you need to invest several dozens or even hundreds of million uh, of, of dollar to develop such large-scale gigawatt projects. You need often harbor infrastructure, you need detailed engineering of chemical plants and uh, balance of plant infrastructure. You need to develop, of course, all the wind park, you need to develop off-grid, so this consumes quite a bit of engineering um, know-how and, and costs. We need to also take some of these consulting services from outside companies. In short, we need also partners during development. And yeah, we try to find ideally placed companies that either bring local expertise and funds that want to operate it or that want to be off-takers. Um, infrastructure funds sometimes would like to invest in such assets utilities so there are different types of investors but uh, I mean the common thing is they need to bring uh, quite uh, yeah uh, capital strength alongside our own capabilities. Hey Tillman here it's great that you've made it that far into the video and I think it shows a certain passion for investing you're having. If you want to dive deeper and go further down the rabbit hole you're invited to apply to my community good investing plus it's a place that's very helpful to people who are ambitious about investing uh, it's helpful to investment talent as well as um, experienced fund managers so if you're interested please click on the link below and now without further ado enjoy the conversation how should we as shareholders think about the realistic valuation of the hydrogen pipeline. What could this be worth in a few years? This is a key question and it's of course that's why we separated it. It it's needs to be evaluated and valued differently. I think that's where we are all in agreement and then I hope that investors see the additional potential. I would put it that way. Um, and then how, how you evaluate that uh, depends on how you see the future hydrogen market. If you really believe that we need to decarbonize fully, come to really net zero, then hydrogen will have a huge role and then it must have sooner or later huge value to develop these projects in strategic areas of the world. These are the new oil wells then. You know? But this depends on each of the investors, I would say, how fast they expect this market to mature, uh, to really become very profitable, self-sustaining. Um, we, of course, think that it has a huge, huge potential relative to our current valuation. I would put it that way. I, I cannot give it an absolute number. But currently we are valued between 400 and 500 million. I mean, if, even if you have a low multiple with 20 gigawatts and you believe in hydrogen market, it is a huge additional value compared to our current company valuation. How do you decide between like this kind of moonshots <laughs> where the market is in, in establishing itself and like the known solar and wind projects, how to put capital? into batteries or uh, hydrogen? We, we ask Abo Wind or Abo Energy uh, soon we think that we need to be careful so we invest only a small portion in hydrogen 
That's also why we announced the strategy that we want to incorporate partners early on, even in the development phase. That's um, the focus and the cash flows in the next years definitely will come from our traditional business. Let's move to the battery business. And what kind of projects do you realize in this business? Can you maybe give a few examples? and how they add value to the existing... Yeah, we have built a first project in Ireland with 50 megawatt. That was really an amazing project. Um, we have won several of the innovation tenders in Germany. We were actually market leader. So these were several dozen of megawatt we won there in several projects. And these projects, of course, we have a strong learning curve, but are um, already profitable. Not all of them, that's also true, but most of them are profitable in some because of our learning curve. We, we, yeah, we, lo we lose some money, but at the same time we learn a lot of valuable um, know-how. Again, it's about the, the people we have in, in the company that learn it and can reapply it in many other markets. So we will see many more of these projects in Germany. We focus the battery business in some key markets. So we will focus into in, in Spain. We have built a series of projects there on the UK islands, uh, Germany. These are among the key markets. And then, um, yeah, we have in many additional markets, smaller pipelines, like also in Hungary and Greece. Um, we have even taken part in, in with battery tender in Colombia, but there also we learn it's not really the markets that, that will be the front runners for batteries. So there you have isolated tenders, but then it's not, let's say, a constant business you could do. Uh, that's why we focus more on the markets, maybe including also Canada, where we expect a more constant flow of projects to come. Like what kind of value does the battery system add to the energy market? It's a bit out of your competence, but like that people can understand why battery projects might be a growing uh, path in a renewable energy system. Oh, um, batteries have a fundamental role in the future. We, we, will, have, we will have very long-term need to store energy. Probably we use the hydrogen, Uh, pump storage, these things will serve f f to, uh, um, to close the long-term gaps yeah, when there's no wind and no solar in the system. And then we have the uh, intraday changes. Yeah, you, of course, we have solar during the day. Um, we have wind blowing in some hours, but you need to shift this energy from these hours to the hours where there's limited or less wind and solar. Yeah? So I think that's easy to understand. The volatility of the renewables in the short term, if it's during several days or especially several hours, this will be done by batteries. But then there's another thing that's not so commonly known. Um, because of the fluctuation and fast fluctuation sometimes of renewables, you need very short-term net services. So to say is to stabilize the grid and their batteries get additional revenues because they can within milliseconds provide some energy 
or, or frequency to stabilize the grid and this is paid for by grid operators. So these two sources of energy as two sources of income uh, and energy services um, can come from batteries. Again, um, the same question as I ask on hydrogen, what could this be worth uh, in your opinion? Like what is the realistic valuation of the battery business? For Arborwind, yeah. it's, I think that's, it's uh, much more near term. It's again about margin. I mean, we look at into percentage or margin we can do per project and it's similar to the solar business. Yeah, so we can, we can have to give you an idea, I don't know, 10% of margin on such a project, which is lucrative and sustainable. And as a last question, and you will finally also have the chance to add something we haven't discussed, but my last question is like, you have this target of doubling net profit until 2027. Can you maybe walk us a bit through how you want to get there? Yes, absolutely. Um, we have grown since we met the last time, we have doubled more or less our pipeline in Germany. So we have now a lot more wind. This will continue to grow. We will realize these wind projects in Germany alone and this, this will be a huge contributor of value. We have a big, big pipeline in solar, also in Germany, but elsewhere as well. These margins will not increase or even decrease in some markets, but because of this huge volume growth, um, we can we can increase our absolute uh, um, net profit a lot. And then, you, and then you have seen and discussed with me the batteries. I think batteries is just starting. It will have much higher compounded growth, much, much higher than the others. We have, uh, you have shown the slide. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's even more because we come from low uh, base, uh, basis so we, we will have in the next years the much higher growth the uh, compounded average growth rates you have shown are to 2050 but this is not let's say a linear growth path it's really we will now see acceleration and then it will flatten out towards uh, getting closer to 2050 um, and in hydrogen hydrogen is not factored in even even in this 50 million Maybe we have we we can make a profit on one or the other project, but I would not even foresee it in the next years to 2027. So we are conservative there. So investors should be assured that these targets are without the fantasy, uh, the additional optionality and perspective of hydrogen. So hydrogen on the opposite even costs you money to develop this project and keep them. Keep, keep them going. It's investment, yes. Yeah. Uh, but then we will see hopefully much higher returns also beyond 2027 on these projects. But indeed, yeah, it's a, a little part of our investments go into this um, business line, but it has a huge leverage. Should it, I mean, you, you have seen our pipelines uh, alone, a project in Canada of five gigawatt, of course, is such a huge volume. You need to see that in Germany, we added a little more than that last year of wind in all over Germany. Uh, so 
you can also see what the possible magnitude of one of such a projects being successful would be. For the end of our two-part interview, I usually give the guest the chance to add anything we haven't discussed. So, do you want to add anything? Well, I, I think we, you have uh, again asked a lot of very interesting uh, questions very comprehensively. Thanks for, the, for these great talks. I would rather say really uh, Arbowind is ideally positioned in the energy transition. We are in wind, solar, batteries, hydrogen. We have all these energies in our portfolio that will drive the energy transition. Um, we have still a lot to do to get to net zero, huge growth paths. So I hope that also investors see the value and the unique position as a pure play of ABO Wind. Yeah? And hopefully when we do the next interviews again, two or three years, then uh, it's, it's again another ABO Wind. ABO Energy. <laughs> ABO Energy then, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, thank you and bye-bye to the audience. I really hoped you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, please leave a like and a comment and for sure subscribe to my channel. Traditionally, I want to close this conversation with the disclaimer. So here you can find the disclaimer. It says, um, please do your own work. This is no recommendation. What we are doing here is just a qualified talk that helps you, but it's no recommendation. Please always do your own work. Thank you and hope to see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.